Will you take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John? The book of 1 John as we finish up this morning. The book of 1 John is near the book of Revelation. The book of 1 John. It's one of my favorite Christmas books. The account of the birth of Christ is given to us in Matthew and given to us in Luke, but oh, all of the all of the theology about the birth of Christ and we have here in the book of 1 John and other books as well, but we're looking at 1 John. And what I want to do is I want to look at about three or four passages of Scripture based on the time that we have, and I want to then just make some quick observations, okay? So, 1 John chapter 1 beginning with the first two verses that we gave last week. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father And was manifested to us. Who is the word of life? Everybody together. I know it's early. Jesus is the word. Now you did much better on that last week. Who is the word of life? Jesus is the word of life. John speaking 2,000 years ago said we had the wonderful privilege of hearing him. Of seeing him of looking upon Him, handling Him. Now, John is excited. I don't know if you can sense the excitement here or not, but I sense not only the enthusiasm of John, but I I, I sense his joy and his excitement because here's an opportunity for John to, with his own five senses, to confirm the existence of God in Christ Jesus, His Son. Now, I don't know about you, but that's something you want to take home sometime and you want to sit in a room and you want to think about it and think about it and think about it and think about it. Because you and I know that it's very difficult, there's great difficulty in knowing God. And one of the reasons why it is very difficult to know God is because God is invisible. You and I can't see Him. I can't hear Him with my ears. I can't see Him with my eyes. I can't handle Him with my hands. And so Job, I think, speaks about it very well. You don't have to refer to these passages of Scripture here. But in the ninth chapter of Job, verse 11... He says, if he goes by me, if God goes by me, I don't see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. And Job, in his frustration, because of all of the problems he's facing, is very candid about that. He says, I wish I could see God. I wish he would just show up face to face. I wish I could talk to him and explain to him in my own words with him listening right there. My dilemma. In Job chapter 23, verses 8 and 9, he says pretty much the same thing when he says, Look, I go forward, but he is not there. And I go backward, but I cannot perceive him. 
When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. And when he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. You see, and so I can see why John is extremely excited when he says, listen, we have actually seen the word of life with our own eyes. We've heard him with our own ears. We have actually been able to touch him with our own hands. He's excited about that. The other reason why, I think among other reasons, but one of the other reasons why it's difficult for us to to know God is because He's unsearchable. And once again, I think Job gives us some of the best human thinking when we think of God being unsearchable. In the 11th chapter, verses 7 through 9, he says, Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. You and I have a hard time comprehending who God is, understanding Him. We can't think like Him. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And there's just so much about God that we cannot comprehend. But the Bible tells us that He may be known. And so John, when he writes his gospel, in the gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 18, says, No man has seen God at any time, but the Son has declared Him to us. Remember that? In John, chapter 1, verse 18. And let me just simply say this to you in 1 John, chapter 5, verse 20. Let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. I think this is one of the greatest passages of Scripture that describe how we can know God in spite of the fact that He is invisible and He is unsearchable. Look at verse 20 of chapter 5. And we know that the Son, the Son of God, I'm saying this very, I want you to listen to every word so I don't have to make any commentary. We know that the Son, the Son of God, has come and has given us an understanding. An understanding of what? That we may know Him, God, who is true. And that we are in Him, God, who is true. And in His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. And, and John goes through his epistle, he writes this letter, and he gets to the end. And this is what he says. He, he climaxes it with this passage of Scripture that there's really no excuse for us not to know God because we can know God in the person of His Son. Now, you remember Paul Harvey used to tell a story every Christmas season. And he would tell the story of the birds, where this man is sitting in his house, and he is uh, looking out the window, and uh, it's, ni- it's nighttime, really, and, and he's by his fire, and he's warm, and he sees these birds come to the window and start pecking at the window and flying in at the window, flying at the window, as if these birds are trying to get some, some warm air and trying to get in out of the elements. 
And Paul Harvey, when he tells the story, tells it better than anybody I've ever heard tell the story, says this farmer says, I wish I could help these birds out. And so he gets up and he gets his coat on and he goes out into the, into the snowstorm. And he walks over to the barn and he, and he, uh, and he uh, opens the barn door. And then between the house and the barn door, he tries to get these birds to figure out that he is offering them some shelter from the storm. But the birds don't listen to him. The birds don't know what he's talking about. The birds don't understand at all what he is trying to do. And they keep trying to fly into the window. And finally, in his frustration, he says to himself, the only way in the world I can get these birds to understand what I'm trying to do is to become a bird. And if I could fly up in there and I could, I could lead them into the barn. It's a good illustration of what Jesus did when he came to this earth. He gives us an understanding of God and who he is and that he is true and that we can know him who is very difficult for us to understand otherwise. So there's really no excuse. If I were to make a, a simple application here this morning, I would say there's no excuse for us to make excuses. There's no excuse for us to say things like, well, God who is infinite cannot enter into infinite relationships. There's not a truth to that at all. It is... It is no objection at all to say that God who is incomprehensible cannot show how He can be knowable to us human beings. There's no excuse for that because we have Christ to show us otherwise. Now in 1 John, the second passage of Scripture that I'd like to look at is chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. In chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And then he gives us these most important words. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now let's say that together. For this purpose, everybody together, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. The Son of God was manifested to us as first a baby in a manger, then as an adult, then as one who went to the cross and died for our sins, who rose again and ascended into heaven and is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, so he may destroy the works of the devil. So that he may deal with our sin. And all you need to do is read 1 John chapter 1 all the way to 5, and you will discover that John makes a big deal of the fact that Jesus is the Savior of the world from our problem of sin. John 3.16, when he wrote the gospel, he said what? In John 3.16, everybody together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Passage number three. 
1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many, 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 I can say, false prophets have gone out into the world, and then he says, listen, by this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit, and let's see, if you have a New King James, just read this with me, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And John's very specific about that. Now, if I were to boil this down, let me simply say this to you. That Jesus becoming a man is essential to believing the gospel. And I've shared that. I've shared that last week and and we have been... We've been dealing with that issue because it is so important and we live in a day and age when people want to just believe what they want to believe about Jesus and uh, some say he's merely a man, some say he's not a man at all, he just seems like he's a man, he's really God and, and, and just uh, appears like he's a man. Others say he's just a great teacher, he's not the Savior. We have so many ideas as to who people think that Jesus is. But John says to us that we have to believe, if I were to boil down the truth of these passages of Scripture, here it is again for you. The eternal Son of God became man without ceasing to be God. True or false? True. The eternal Son of God became man without ceasing to be God. He became the God-man. He became God and man with two distinct natures. He's God as well as man in one person. For all eternity. The incarnation of Christ doesn't end. It hasn't ended. It's still going on. The second thing that I would say to you is Jesus didn't just take on a human body. It's critical that we understand that. He didn't just take on a human body as God. He actually became a human being, and he grew up in a very natural and ordinary way. Now, I, if we were to take the passage of Scripture that deals with the coming of Christ and his birth in Bethlehem, and then him being taken to the temple, we would discover that the Bible is specific about the fact that Jesus grew and became strong physically. The Bible actually says that. Not only would we know that, but we would know that Jesus also went through the process of an intellectual development as well. Where he had to learn his ABCs. He had to go to school. There was a point in his life when he didn't understand his purpose. And and I want to say this to you. Since Jesus is God and Jesus is man, if Jesus has chosen to go through the normal human development, then that means that he has chosen not to exercise his omniscience, his all-knowing ability, his omnipotence, his all-powerful ability. He's chosen not to do it. And you say, well, I don't understand. Pastor, I don't understand that. Nobody's asked you to understand it. Nobody's asked me to understand it. 
In fact, I think you have to have a really strong sense of pride if you're going to try to figure it out. Because you're going to try to say, well, God, I, I want to figure you out, so i got to think exactly the way you think and know things exactly the way you know them. But I share this with you because Jesus becoming a man is essential to believing the gospel. Since becoming a man, he has, he has and will never cease to have all the essential attributes of a sinless man. True or false? True. It's a mystery. And I'm amazed every time I think about it. How important is this? Gary, is it right for you to say this is an essential element of the gospel? Yes, it is. Notice what it says in verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God, verse chapter 4. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And then what does he say? And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. See what John is doing there. He is identifying those who refuse to accept the human birth of Christ as those who have the spirit of Antichrist. And it's not the only time he does it in this book. In chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, he does the very same thing. Who is a liar, he says. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is an antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And let me simply say this to you, that just as Jesus, the Son, and the Father are one, Jesus and us, are one. Now, I don't know how that grabs you, but it really grabs me. Now, the last passage in 1 John that I want to use, and then I want to go quickly to Hebrews chapter 2 for an application, is 1 John chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Rightfully so, we say that Christmas is a time of love. It's a season of love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so John has no problem saying to us, no one has seen God at any time. We've seen God because we've seen the Son. We can't see the Father. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. Verse 16. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. And we know and believe the love that God has for us, everybody together. God is love, and He who abides in love abides in God, and God in Him. Boy, if there's anything you and I need to see at Christmas time, it's to see the, um, the magnificent expression of God's love in sending Christ to this earth, in Christ living and dying as a man so that he could stand in our place and receive the penalty of sin voluntarily, receive the penalty of sin 
so that you and I do not have to live under the penalty of sin for all eternity. That's love. John says we need to love because God loves. Now the best expression of Christmas time I've ever heard about love is the one about the father who's sitting in front of the, in the living room watching his three little daughters open up their Christmas gifts. You've heard this story before. But I remind you of it because I think it's the best expression of what Jesus did and it's the best expression of what we can do in expressing our love to others. So he's watching his kids and he's not very happy because their mom had just passed away shortly before Christmas. But there's those three little kids, they're opening their Christmas gifts, and the whole time they're opening their Christmas gifts, they're eyeing their dad who's sitting in the chair. And they notice his sadness. It's unmistakable. And after they open their Christmas gifts, they all get up to have a little, little, little huddle. And they all get up, and they go up to dad, and they say, Dad, now it's our turn to give you your Christmas gift. And so they run out of the room. And they're gone for about a minute. And they all run back into the room with their hands behind their back. And they stand in front of their dad. And these three little kids, the oldest one, who uh, is the best spokesman for all of them, this is, Dad, we understand that you miss Mom. We miss Mom very much, too. And we understand that you miss Mom. And we understand that it's not a very happy Christmas for you. And we want you to also know that we didn't go out and buy any gifts, but we're going to give you the best gift we can. And so they run into Dad's arms. And they say, we give you ourselves. And they smother him with hugs and kisses. You know, that's a good description of love, isn't it? The best I can think of. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave of himself. Jesus personally died that we might be forgiven and the works of the devil can be destroyed. Now, I have one final passage of Scripture before we close, and I couldn't resist this. I, I wanted to stay in the book of 1 John, but the book of Hebrews has a wonderful application for all of us, and I just want to bring it to your attention because it kind of wraps everything up that we have just said this morning. All right? Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Two verses of Scripture, and that's it. Now, I want you to notice, I, 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 do, I will refer to 16, 17, and 18, but let's look at these two verses of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, that's us, he himself likewise shared in the same, that's Jesus. Remember, he and the Father are one. But Jesus and, and you and I as human beings are one. He himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, 
and release those who through fear of death were all their life long subject to bondage. I feel, I feel bad for people who have, have ex- you know, they say, oh, I've, I've experienced 10 Christmases, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 Christmases. And in all of those Christmases, uh, do you know Christ? Well, I don't know that I know Christ personally. So all your life long now, you are fearing death, subject to the bondage of what's going to happen. When Jesus came, it's hard to believe this little baby in a manger is going to relieve us of this problem of fearing death. Now in verse 17, it says, in verse 16, it says, For indeed, he does not give aid to angels. In other words, Jesus didn't come as an angel in order to save the angels. Some people think Jesus is an angel, but the Bible says he's not. He is the eternal Son of God, and he came as a human being. So he didn't come to aid angels. He didn't come to save angels, so he didn't, he didn't become an angel. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, verse 17, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God. High priests were the ones making sure atonement was being made for the people of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people, to stand in the place of sinners and receive the wrath of God on himself, the consequences of sin, which is death, so that by receiving Christ we could be free. And then finally in verse 18, for in this he himself suffered, being tempted, so he is able to aid those who are tempted. And let me just simply say this to you. It's very important that you and I understand this. In order for, in order for uh, Jesus to represent us in his death, he had to become a member of the human race. Let me just put it that way. Just like an officer may be in an organization, if he becomes the president of that organization, he needs to first be a member of that organization before he can become president. But here's Jesus. Notice what the Bible says. He so has so been able to identify with us as human beings, totally without sin, but to identify with us that there's not a problem. I don't care. It doesn't matter if it's depression, anxiety, fear, anger, if it's a, a, a constant lack of assurance, uh, despair. You can put any negative term you possibly want to put in front of what you're going through. And you'll never hear Jesus say, I don't think I understand that. He understands it all. He even understands your temptations. He understands your struggles. He understands how difficult it is. For in him he himself has suffered, being tempted. He is able to aid those who are tempted. Now, is that good enough for, uh, for Christmas to encourage you? Will you have a good day? Will you have a good Christmas? All right. And uh, let's rejoice in the Lord.